Good morning. So good to see you all. Welcome to Carney E. Free Church. Welcome to all those watching in the venue and at CarneyEFree.com. Great to be with you today. How you doing with Unhurry? Yeah. <laughs> I relate. <laughs> it's a tough one to implement, but um, I pray that you've been able to implement it a little bit and that we would continue to do so over these next couple weeks as we approach the end of the Lenten season and the glory of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. One additional note on Easter Sunday, if I might. We have that 8 o'clock service, and we don't have child care for the 0 to 3-year-olds at the 8 o'clock service. If you're able to attend that one, as you might know, we have lots of newcomers, lots of visitors, lots of guests uh, that come here on Easter Sunday, and uh, the 9:15 will likely be our most packed service. And so, I recognize that some might not be able to do that, and that's just fine. But if you're able to do that, to do more of an Easter sunrise type service at 8 o'clock here on Easter morning, uh, thanks for your consideration on that as we seek to make room for as many guests as possible. And then again, as Charles noted, well, we'll enjoy celebrating our Easter jam this coming Wednesday night, 5.30 p.m. for the kids' dinner, and then 6.30 p.m. kids and families together in the auditorium for Easter Jam will be a great time together this Wednesday evening. All right, quick straw poll. Kansas Jayhawks or UNC Tar Heels? Jayhawks, let's see. Tar Heels, let's see. Who doesn't care? Let's see. Okay, all right. Seems to be the majority of you. Uh, Go Jayhawks, rock chalk Jayhawks. Boo, I hear. All right, all right, I hear you. We'll talk. We'll talk. Well, this morning we are going to talk about fasting. Oh, brother, <laughs> if you'd like to make a run to the cafe to grab a coffee and a donut, please bring me one. I didn't include fasting on the title of your handout. We included the words empty but filled, which fasting's about being empty but filled. But I didn't use the word fasting on your handout because I realized that some of us, if we would see that, we would uh, enter into church and then quickly exit out a different door and go to breakfast. Again, I'd understand. (laughs) But now you're stuck. You're here and you're stuck, and I'm watching if you leave. Friends, fasting is perhaps the most difficult spiritual discipline, and it's certainly the most forgotten, but it's a tremendously helpful spiritual discipline, and I pray that you would stick with me mentally and emotionally here for the next 30 minutes or so as we perhaps would expand our vision of what is meant by this ancient spiritual practice of fasting, different ways that we might engage in it, and we might learn from one of my spiritual heroes, at least, a man named Nehemiah. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Nehemiah. If you're not sure where that is, that's no problem. You have a table of contents on page two or three of your Bible. And uh, if you open up to the Psalms and go back to the left to Job and then back a little bit more from there, from Esther to Nehemiah, you run to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to see a story 
of a heroic man in the Old Testament here this morning. Nehemiah finds himself in the court of the king of Persia in what would be about 444 B.C., a long time ago. He's in the court of the king of Persia, and Persia is Babylon prior to Babylon. Excuse me, Babylon after Babylon. It goes from Assyria to Babylon to Persia, who are these foreign empires ruling over Israel. And Persia is the third consecutive foreign empire ruling over, it, over Israel. And Nehemiah finds himself in this place as the cupbearer to the king. So he has a role in the king's life. He has the ear of the king. He is in the Washington, D.C. of that age. And he has access to a pagan king who is not a follower of God. And we'll see what he does with that as the story goes on. Now, what is a cupbearer exactly? He is like the food taster. He's on Food Network. Okay, he has the job that I dreamed of as a kid. I want to be a professional ice cream taster. That's Nehemiah in the story. It's his job to be a screen between the public and the king because the king has enemies. And so the king might be presented with wine or with food that is poisoned. And it's Nehemiah's job to be an upright, trustworthy, respected man who comes in between the public and the king, such that if the king gets food, Nehemiah tastes it first. Uh, makes you ask the question, what happens if there really was poison in the pot? Okay, Nehemiah's job was a good job, bad job type thing. But he's a faithful man of integrity, serving this pagan king with utmost respect and honor. But ultimately, what I want you to know is that Nehemiah longs for something greater. He's a cupbearer for the king, but he longs for something greater. He longs for a bigger role in God's great kingdom. He wants to be God's representative for his people, and he's praying for that toward God's cause of redemption for the Jews in this moment. Now, the context of what we're about to read here in Nehemiah 1 is this. Many Israelites have returned to Jerusalem. They've been given free passageway to return to Jerusalem. And for the past number of years, though they've been allowed to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah sends emissaries back to Jerusalem from Persia, where he is, the capital of Persia, modern-day Iran, and he sends emissaries back there to get an update on how things are going with the rebuilding of the wall around the city of Jerusalem. They're back there after the exile has ended. Those emissaries, including Nehemiah's brother, come back with this report to Nehemiah in verse 3 of chapter 1. They said to me, when they returned from looking at the walls, those who, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. You might underline those two words, those two ideas, great trouble and disgrace, because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, cities in the ancient world were walled for their own protection. You might remember Middle Earth from the Lord of the Rings. Did you watch or read the Lord of the Rings? Uh, 
Okay, if you remember Middle Earth, it's walled for its own protection from those huge orcs that are trying to bang down those gates and enter into Middle Middle Earth. And this is the way it was with ancient cities. They needed to be walled off from other nations that would enter in and raiders would seek to take over the city. And cities in the ancient world that were not walled off were considered a disgrace and were constantly vulnerable to foreign attack. Now, especially so with a nation like Israel in this case, which is not yet sovereign. It's not a sovereign nation. God's people are still under the authority of another nation, in this case the Persians, and so they are in great trouble and disgrace. Nehemiah hears these words, he adds it all up, and he is brokenhearted as he hears about the plight of his countrymen. Listen to verse 4 now. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, if I had my Bible open right now, what I would do is underline these six verbs. I heard, sat, wept, mourned, fasted, prayed. For several days, this is what Nehemiah does in response to the news. Now, we tend to just get angry, don't we? When things aren't going our way or when our country is hurting, we get ticked off. What Nehemiah did was he mourned. His eyes filled with tears. And then he began to do the greatest work that God calls each of us to do. He prayed. And he focused his prayers through the gift of fasting. It raised the question, why in the world would somebody voluntarily abstain for something as basic as food? I personally would like to eat more, not less. Okay, food is one of the great joys of life, I think, anyway. Why would someone voluntarily abstain from something as basic as food? Your big idea, though, this morning is simply two words. Someone would fast from food because fasting focuses. You need to remember these two words today. If you're watching online, you're watching the venue, wherever. Fasting focuses. Fasting, when done repeatedly, focuses us on God the way nothing else can. Usually, if you just do it one time, it won't focus on you on anything except for your belly and the groans that you feel. But if you do it repeatedly over the course of time and you learn to get a little bit of a habit around fasting in certain ways, it will focus you on God the way nothing else can. Let's read now the whole of this story and see what Nehemiah did as he was focusing his attention on God through the instrument of fasting and prayer. Once again, verse 4, and then we'll read all the way to chapter 2, verse 6. This is not on the screen, so you can sit back and listen to it or follow along with me in your Bible. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed 
before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess that the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for your name, which God has certainly done now as he brought them back from exile after 70 years. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this is the Persian calendar, King Artaxerxes, the king for 20 years, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, he took a sip, he gives it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. O Father in heaven, we ask that you would teach us from this your word. Please open our minds. Please open our hearts to the beauty of Nehemiah's prayer and his response to King Artaxerxes. We ask, God, that you would teach us, you would give us open minds today about the role of fasting and how it can focus spiritual soldiers like us. We give you ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to suggest to you today three ways that fasting focused Nehemiah In three ways that God would intend that perhaps it could fast, fasting could focus spiritual soldiers like you and me. You, You see, God is always looking for men and women who are willing to stand in the gap and be the kind of people 
that he wants us to be for a culture that is in great need. Is he not? He's always looking for men and women who will stand in the gap. And he found a man in Nehemiah who was willing to stand in the gap at a time of great need. And so today he's looking for spiritual soldiers who will stand in the gap spiritually at a time of great need. The first way that fasting focuses us is on worship. Quite simply, when we are hungry and we are uncomfortable, that is when we authentically pray, that is when we authentically sing, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, in this moment I need you, oh, Lord, right? Like, that's when we pray those words. That's when we sing those words. It's when we are uncomfortable that we are led to worship God more fully, And fasting is a voluntary move to go there in order to focus our attention on worship of the one who alone is God. Here's a simple definition. Fasting is simply abstaining from something good in order to awaken your appetite for God. It's an ancient spiritual practice, much like prayer and Sabbath keeping and Bible meditation, for this purpose of taking away something that is good that would have a role in our lives on a regular basis in order to focus our attention for a time on something even better, to awaken our appetites for one who sustains us at an even deeper level. At its most basic level, it awakens our hunger for God. When you fast and your belly starts to groan, then your lips move toward God in worship. Notice the way this happened for Nehemiah. Verse 5. The very first words of his prayer go like this. Okay, remember, he's mourning and fasting. He's praying and he begins, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, the one who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That is worship. First thing he does is he ascribes value to God. He ascribes worth to God. Worship is ascribing worth to God. This was his response to his heartache. It was worship. Makes me ask the question, why isn't my natural response to heartache worship? I think it's because I allow myself to be comforted by other things. And habitually, over time, if I allow myself to be comforted by other things, I will not naturally go to God to be comforted by Him through the gift of worship. I think this is what C.S. Lewis was getting at in his famous essay titled The Weight of Glory. Back 70 years ago, he wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Anyone else? We are far too easily pleased. We want to be comforted and we look in a hundred different directions besides God to be pleased. 
We want to be comforted and we grab a candy bar. We want to be comforted and we grab a beer. We want to be comforted so we pick up the remote control. We want to be comforted so we grab another person to comfort us. Fasting removes those comforts and it awakens our hearts to be comforted as we worship the one who alone is God. As we learn to be comforted while once again to the object of our greatest desires. We are meant to be comforted by the one who created us. He would be our greatest sustenance. You see, in fasting we learn that we have a sustenance beyond what even food provides. I think Jesus was speaking quite literally when he said, I am the bread of life. He's not saying literally that we would eat him, but he is saying quite literally that you come to me and you need not hunger again. You come to me and you will be satisfied because I really am bread that provides nourishment to your soul that cannot be provided anywhere else. He's the bread of life who intends to sustain us even beyond the comforts of this world. And fasting focuses us on worship. And then second, out of worship, we see from Nehemiah, fasting focuses spiritual soldiers on confession, on the priority of confession. Verses 6 and 7. Let your ear, O God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. All right. Notice what Nehemiah says about his sins and his father's family's sins. This is no blame shifter here. We have acted very wickedly toward your name. We have not obeyed the commands decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. I'm telling you, this is a man. This is a man who stands up. This is a man who looks in the mirror and says, I will do business with my creator. This is a man who refuses to blame shift. Look what my forefathers did. No, I am part of the problem. Nehemiah simply understands what churches basically do not teach anymore, but what the Bible says everywhere, which is sin hinders our prayers. Say that with me. Sin hinders our prayers. Okay, so you yeah, you can have a relationship with God, and I don't doubt that in any way. I can have a relationship with God, but the reality of sin is this. If I'm not confessing my trespasses, it produces static that prevents me from connecting with God in prayer. And the Bible says this all over. We don't talk about this much because it bothers us that we would have a perpetual lifestyle of confession. 
But the Bible says that sin hinders our prayers. It's like this. If you're on a country road and you're trying to tune your dial to get a certain frequency, to get a certain music channel that you like to listen to as you drive through the country, and all you're getting is the static, you know what I'm talking about? That's what sin does to our prayers with God. We just can't tune in. It provides that static that we can't reconnect with God. He will not answer our prayers with another word if we have not obeyed his previous word. He won't answer our prayers with another word if we have not confessed the ways that we have trespassed the previous words that he has already given to us. And so Nehemiah, as he's fasting and praying for several days, he remembers how great Israel's sins have been. You might remember that the reason that they are exiled in the first place was because of indifference toward the poor and injustice toward the poor and then polytheistic worship. They would worship their bars of gold and they would worship their statues and they would worship their crystals, that kind of thing. And so God sends them into exile for 70 years and eventually he forgives their sins and they return. But once they return to their promised land, well, what do they do? They get real comfortable and build their own houses. And they forget about God. And they have an opportunity to build the temple, but they refuse to do so. They say, I'm going to look out for myself before I think about worship of the one who alone is God. And these are the kinds of things that Nehemiah is confessing to God in this moment. He is that man who is willing to stand up on behalf of his people in this time of need, stand in the gap and confess his sins and confess those of his forefathers as well. All I can tell you about this is that when I fast, I recognize how holy God is and how holy I am not. Simplest way to put it. When I fast, I recognize how holy God is and how holy I'm not. And after some time of fasting, inevitably, I notice there's a coworker that I need to apologize to. There's a family member that I snapped at. There's a temptation that I need to rebuild walls to guard against. And then thank you, God. You confess it, and his grace comes down. He forgives. The walls are rebuilt, and the static is removed, and you have a direct line to God once again. Praise God. He gives you the gift of confession. Fasting focuses us on these wonderful disciplines of worship and on confession. And then finally, fasting focuses us, Nehemiah shows us, on wisdom, on prayers for wisdom from God. Again, Nehemiah here is mourning and fasting and praying across several days, and he's anticipating some meeting with the king And he's praying for an opportunity to speak to the king about the condition of his people back in Jerusalem and to ask the king if he can go back there and tend to to the walls. And he understands that he needs great wisdom to approach the king. And so this is what he's bathing in prayer as he fasts over these days. Now he gets that audience with the king and the king asks him in chapter 2, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? You're not sick. Why are you so, so sad? And he says, I was very much afraid <laughs> coming before the king. Pagan king, I want to go back and rebuild my spiritual people. 
Why are you so, he said, I'm very much afraid. And then verse four, the king said to me, what is it that you want? What does Nehemiah do next? He just prays some more. Like he, he stops, he doesn't just talk. It's like he, he stops for maybe 15, 30 seconds and he says, God, this is what I've been praying to you about for the past three or four days. You've given me the opportunity. Would you help me to step into it with courage and wisdom now? Thank you for giving me the wisdom. Help me to say it now with courage. He stops and he prays again. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Again, he's been praying and asking God for this opportunity. The opportunity arises, and then he has the wisdom in that moment from God in heaven who has given him this wisdom to answer in the opportunity that is given to him. You ever have challenges that you know are too big for you? Anyone else? I've had a couple of those recently where I realize that I'm not intelligent enough. I don't have enough wisdom for the things that I'm dealing with. And so throughout Lent, I've been praying over those and fasting. And as I've done so, I've sought the Lord's wisdom on a couple issues, and I must say it has not been a miserable experience. I've been with God. There's been deep joy in the presence of God, and God has provided answers. And I don't know about you, but for me, there is nothing more powerful for building my faith than a specific answer to a specific prayer. When I have a specific need, particularly for wisdom that is beyond me, and God in heaven intervenes and provides a specific word toward that need, it leads me to worship. It builds my faith in the way nothing else can. I just share that to say Fasting has a way of focusing us on God in our prayers that sometimes we would hear from him because we're not comforted by other things in this world. And you might be asking right now, Adrian, well, what does all this have to do with unhurry already? It, it, it has a lot to do with unhurry already, and it's this. If you're having difficulty finding time, could it be that God would provide an hour of time, maybe even this week, that you don't have to fix and eat and clean up from a meal, and for an hour of time you get to just focus on God? Ooh, wow, 21 opportunities in the next week. God provides. I love the way Chuck Swindoll put it wonderful pastor and theologian who many of us love. He says, when our motive is right, 
It is amazing what we can accomplish with the Lord when we occasionally save the time it would take to fix, eat, and clean up after a meal and instead invest it on our knees. What an opportunity, though, this is simply to get to know God better, to take an hour to steep in Bible meditation, to take an hour to go on a prayer walk and pray by name for all of your family members and all of your life group members across the needs that they particularly have in their life. Pray for those that you're serving with in the church or those that you know that you love who are far from Christ to do that for an hour as we worship God, as we confess our sins, as we seek God's wisdom. You see, my friends, part of the lie of our contemporary culture is that we can know well, we can love well without knowing well. Part of the lie is we can love well without knowing well. That's a lie. Cheap love is without knowledge. And so also, we cannot really love Christ if we don't know Christ well. Is anyone with me? We just can't. Like, we can really like the idea of Christ. We can like the idea of the cross. We can appreciate the benefits that he brings to our lives. We can appreciate that he's forgiven us of our sins, but we won't love him deeply if we don't choose to know him deeply. And so the whole purpose of unhurry already is focused attention on God. The key is elimination. The key to attention is elimination. And so you eliminate something else, something that even could be good for a time, in order to focus our attention on God a bit more. And there's lots of different tools by which we could do that, and fasting is just one of those. But again, the the idea here is you remove some other things that will be good so you could focus your attention on what is best and be comforted by by the one who alone is God. I've been so blessed over this course of this series. I've heard from several of you who have contacted me and told me things that you have given up for for Lent and and the differences starting to make in your life. Like, if you've been a part of AA or NA, you know that the way out is elimination, Right? The way out is complete abstinence. So I know people who have been addicted to social media and they said, I just need to get away and Lent has provided me an opportunity to do that. As an aside, isn't it interesting that there's just two professions that refer to their customers as users? Ooh, my. Okay, so some people have fasted from social media for the past 28 days and the result is they're feeling their habits break and new habits develop and anxiety melt. Uh, One of my favorite theologians fasts from advertisers by turning away from commercials and turning off the volume on the TV whenever they come on and then he just prays for three or four minutes. That's another form of fasting. Now the traditional form of fast, of course, is the one that we've been talking about here today, where you would step away, fall from food, and all that that entails, fall for an hour, for one meal, maybe for a full day, depending on uh, your appetite for it, sorry, and uh, awaken your appetite, fall for God for an hour. I I just want you to process with me, what, what if we all did this together this week? Say like on Wednesday? say like at noontime? Are you with me? Like what if this Wednesday at noon we all said collectively we're going to save that hour 
to be with God. And maybe you join hands with another friend who likewise is fasting and you pray together. Or maybe you go on a solitary prayer walk by a lake. Or maybe you come to the prayer room here on Wednesday at noon. I'll be there this Wednesday at noon. You can come join me. We can pray together. Seriously, that's available to you. There's a number of cubicles in there. Maybe it's a time that you would meditate a little bit more on Psalm 1, as Jordan talked about so beautifully last week, or meditate on Nehemiah 1. You take an hour to steep in the Scriptures. Maybe the entire town of Kearney would hear a collective belly growl at 1 p.m. this Wednesday. I I don't know. Like, you you have an opportunity. We would have an opportunity to teach others. Like, they are going to ask, why aren't you eating? That's okay. Just tell them. It's not that you're doing it for that purpose to tell them, not in any way. But if someone asks, by all means, you can tell them that you want to be satisfied by something greater. What an opportunity to witness. Your kids ask, what an opportunity to teach them, to to witness to, to them as well. What if we all did this together as we are collectively asking God for a greater heart of wisdom? Focus us, O Lord, on wisdom. Focus us, O Lord, on worship. Focus us, O Lord, on confession that we would receive what you have for us. I think one of the greatest tragedies of the contemporary Christian faith in America is this. We treat many of the spiritual disciplines as if they're only for super-Christians. It's one of the greatest tragedies of the contemporary church. They're not. Spiritual disciplines are a means to the end of focusing our attention more and more on God. And it's in the presence of God, it's in the presence of His grace that we are changed. As we increase our duration and our frequency of holy moments with God, that, my friends, that is what changes us. Now, fasting is not for super-Christians. Fasting is for ordinary Christians, for regular people like us. It's a gift from God. Now, you may not be able to participate it in it on Wednesday at noon, like many in this room, because of dietary restrictions, and that's fine. Guess what? There was a man named Daniel in the Bible, and Daniel and the three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fasted for 10 days, but they didn't fast from all food. They fasted eating only vegetables and drinking only water, even though they had a table with the king, with King Nebuchadnezzar. For 10 days, they ate only vegetables and drank only water. Nebraskans, they were not, right? But what I see from that is this flexibility, this beautiful flexibility. So you can be flexible as you perhaps participate together as a whole church this Wednesday at noon. Are you with me? Who's with me? Okay, maybe a few. Let's try it. Let's give it a try. It won't kill you, I promise. It's in fasting that we focus more on worship on confession, on seeing our need before a great and awesome God and on God's wisdom, praying that perhaps He would give it to us. And it's in fasting that Jesus learned, and perhaps we will learn this week as well, that we need not live on bread alone. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God for us. All right, God, we ask for your help. (laughs) We ask for your help. 
We don't really like this one, but we recognize it's one of the spiritual practices, though, that you have given to us, Jesus. Uh, Your word says, when you fast, when you fast, don't be like hypocrites that do it for human approval. And so we want nothing to do with that. When we fast, Lord, we do it to draw near to you. And so we ask God for every person in this room, everyone watching online, everyone in the venue, that perhaps this would be a week you would awaken our hunger a little bit more for you. And we also recognize that a single meal on Wednesday won't change us. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our minds to what you want to do in our lives where you might restrain some of our temptations and give us more self-control and strengthen our focus on the one who alone is God. Lord, your word is bread. Your word is bread to us. You sustain us. Jesus, your Holy Spirit, his presence is bread to us. He who comes to you shall never be hungry again. He who dwells with you shall never be thirsty. Would you give us courage, O God? Would you strengthen us, Lord? As we focus our attention more and more on you, would you do a great work in many this week of stimulating our appetite that we would be satisfied by God alone. In whose name we pray.